Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always is a man that's been quoting the Wayne's World movie since 1992. He is the captain. As Fincher says what? What? Exactly. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Tonight I got a big bottle of Fat Julian by these, I love these people, Captain, by the actual brewing company, Garage Grade, four and a half bottle caps out of five. Mm-hmm. This is a, they describe it as a leathery elephant dipped in dark chocolate. <laughs> it's just really a big, bold okay. flavor. Robust. Do not be afraid of the dark, my friends. Mm-hmm. And this delicious beer was brought to us by these fantastic people. First up, a shout out to Fanny, a member of the Team Nick crew all the way in Sweden. And a big we like your jib to Stephanie in Toronto. And a cheers to Maria in Lilburn, Georgia. And a big cheers, mates, to Kate in New Cumberland, West Virginia. And down in Kentucky, we have Lauren, a.k.a. Cat Mama. And last but not least... <laughs> A shout-out to our buddy Kyle in Brisbane, Australia. If you want to help us out with next week's show, if you want to put some beers in this fridge, yeah. go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And if you haven't seen our new tanks and tees, you're going to love these. Girls don't like boys. Girls like true crime garage and murder documentaries. It's a lot to put on a shirt, but you got to <laughs> check them out at truecrimegarage.com. A limited number so get them while they last and that's enough of the business thank you captain everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime Yesterday, Captain, we did a fairly good job of going through the timeline and all of picking <laughs> apart some of the items found at the scene and what they could mean 
and what they might not mean and what it could point us towards as we work our way towards getting to some of the theories, the popular theories, uh, theories of the public and theories of our own, as well as suspects into the abduction of 27-year-old Jody Husentrut. And a lot of the points that you're going to bring up, there's a lot of speculation too. So uh, for all the speculation, please, this is your warning. Turn it off if you don't like speculation. Yeah, and we're going to sift through some of this and see if we can come up with some answers or in the very least eliminate some of the possibilities that people have thrown out there. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to theories, I found this article that I think is a great lead into the theories section. It's an article featuring a reporter who was interviewing an FBI agent and a Mason city police officer regarding the abduction of Jody. The reporter asked, do you think you've interviewed the person who committed this crime? The FBI agent responds to the question saying, I don't know. I don't know. It makes you wonder. Then the reporter asked, do you think that this case, do you think that this is a case where you know who did it, but just cannot prove it? The Mason city police officer answers. I don't think so. There are so many different stories and theories and possibilities that I don't think we could ever narrow it down to who did it right now. It's trying to figure out what happened to Jody. Where is she? And then work backwards from there. And I, he brings up a very good point here, Captain. He's very right, the officer. We don't know what happened or the result of this abduction. We have no body. So there is only a cold trail that leads to her being grabbed and taken in the parking lot of her apartment complex. Mm-hmm. With no result or no body, there is nothing. There's no dots to connect. Now, the FBI agent goes on to say if... If it was anybody but Jody, and because she was a local news anchor, you could say it was a chance encounter, but you can't rule out the fact that someone was stalking her just because of who she was. And the officer's thoughts regarding the crime is, if you're a kidnapper, there are a lot of possibilities that you should have gotten caught. In an apartment complex, there are a lot of windows facing out. What a risky place to abduct someone. So you think maybe it was someone that knew her there again. What if it was someone who was just lurking around the apartments looking for prey? So some items to keep in mind regarding theories as we go through these as to what the police and FBI's agents thoughts were at the time. So as you can see, there were no shortage of theories out there, but let's start off by going through some of the theories that have been discussed on other platforms regarding what is likely to have happened to Jody. The theories are this. Let's do this, Captain. Let's list out these theories, and then we'll kind of go through them one at a time, if that's okay with you. Mm -hmm. All right, so one, someone that she knew abducted and killed her. Two, someone stalking her abducted and killed her. Now, this could either be someone she knows or does not know. Three, Total stranger on stranger attack or like a serial killer. Someone spots her leaving that day and grabs her. Mm -hmm. Some of these are a little more out there. That's my warning as we move on to these next ones. Four, the police killed her. Five, drugs. That somehow drugs were involved. Either she was using or she reported on something and someone got upset. And six, someone from work, possible co-worker, was involved in her abduction and murder. Well, let's start backwards. So let's start with the first one, a co-worker. 
Yeah, and this one is a weird one, but I don't think it's so far out there because there's a lot of online speculation regarding Amy Coons specifically. Now, this is the girl that called her that day, woke her up, said, hey, are you coming to work? And then then fills in for her for that day. I want to paint the real picture of of her coworkers and of that television station there. So even though Jody was missing, there was a long time that she was still technically employed by the television station that she was, they were getting people to constantly fill in for her for months and months and months after the fact people, people pulling together. This is what, where I see a kind of close knit group that considers each other friends on some level, kind of pulling together for this young woman who has gone missing, someone that they probably lots of them cared very deeply about. Well, it also shows that there wasn't somebody next in line to take her spot. Yeah, and as you pointed out yesterday, Captain, it is a very competitive business. There's a lot of people that want to be on TV. I'm sure that the the position pays well. Um, Usually the people working under somebody, under the anchor there, are people that aspire to be a news anchor someday. So that's why some suspicion has fallen on Amy Coons throughout the years. Now, over the years, many of her coworkers have been interviewed, and many of them seem to be very willing to sit down and and be a part of these interviews. Right. And the other thing we got to keep in mind here is, like we said yesterday, there was a thought at the time that there was an increasing that that this was an increasing thing that there was unwanted attention from females that worked on television, worked on camera, that they were receiving a lot of unwanted attention from male viewers. And it was of concern to everybody in the industry. So a lot of the surrounding areas would often feature Jody's crime as well, or Jody's case as well, because they're trying to bring attention to this. They're trying to put an end to this and awareness to this situation. Now her coworkers more specifically, one had nothing but great things to say for, for Jody with the exception. I will say, I think the reason why there's been some suspicion cast on Amy Coons is that she's not always said wonderful, bright, shiny things about Jody. And now keep in mind, she worked side by side with her day after day after day. Mm-hmm. Captain, I love you. You're one of my, one of my longest friends. Oh. Um, and, but, oh. but, but I'm sure that there are people that are aware that there's times that we bicker at one another on this show, or we have a disagreement on the show regarding something. It's I not, talk shit about you all the time. I know. And I find that strange that I oh. seem to have your back, but you, you have a different opinion of our relationship. Yeah. If you ever go missing, they know where to, but moving on to the point where here's where I don't find anything suspicious about Amy's behavior. And you know, some people first people bring up the fact that are they, were they in fact friends? I don't think that they were. Mm-hmm. I don't, I actually don't think that there's anything to suggest that they were friends. And I don't think at any time, Amy pretends that they were friends. She makes it sound like what, we were coworkers first off, but you also have to understand she technically was my boss. And yeah, she, but also if you're being an interviewed with the police, right? That sometimes you, you, you know, if you just paint this, uh, you know, glitz and glamor, uh, uh, portrayal of this person that might not be the actual truth. 
And the more truthful that you can be with police officers, the more that they can follow certain leads and figure out, you know, maybe if we can figure out who uh, Jody is, that we can figure out what happened to her. And I do want to point out, we, we talked about the birthday party, Jody's surprise birthday party, 27th birthday party. Uh, Amy was not on the invited list for that party. Uh, so I think this would further back up that they were just, they were more coworkers and less friends at no time. Has the police ever said that they suspect anybody that she works with at no time. And to back that up a little bit more is we have Amy Coons who has done a bazillion and I think that number is extremely accurate, a bazillion interviews regarding her relationship with Jody regarding their, and then the telephone call too. Yeah. So here's the thing. I think that ultimately police have a much better idea on this than we do as they should. I think that the public might be jumping to conclusions here thinking Amy could be a suspect. I don't know so much about her other coworkers, but she's the one that I'm focusing in on because she's the one that we know the most about because she's done a bazillion interviews over the years. But what police did with Amy was they brought her to the actual crime scene. They brought her to where Jody was abducted. They brought her into her apartment and had her look through her things to verify, Hey, tell us what she might've been wearing when she was abducted. So when we, when we give out her physical description, we can give out what we think she was wearing at the time. Right. And the thing is, I really think that, see, here's the alibi. Amy has an alibi and the alibi is what you just said. The phone call. Right. If in fact that she spoke with her at four ten and she was busy working, she was observed by other people at this television station during the time of when Jody would have been abducted. Now, Right. Yes, there's some more far-fetched ideas out there that that Amy could have killed her the night before and pretended that those phone calls happened. Yes. Or Amy That's a possibility or it's kind of a Tanya Harding uh Nancy Kerrigan type thing where you're going to place these calls at the same time you know that somebody is uh abducting her. So I'm going to go ahead and rule out the first possibility of that Amy was involved somehow and something happened to Jody the night before. And then Amy later faked those phone calls. And the, the reason why I'm going to rule that out as a possibility is I think the police were able to rule it out. I don't, I don't have confirmation of this, but mm -hmm. what I believe to be confirmation of this is that they in fact must've ruled Amy out as a suspect enough that they brought her to the crime scene, that they brought her into the apartment to get her opinion on different things of what she would see there. So you're kind of ruling out coworkers. I'm not going to just yet, but I also don't think the motive is that strong. So let's go to the next theory of that. Possibly there were some drugs involved somehow. Yes. And there's kind of two thoughts to this, this theory. Um, mm -hmm. One that Jody had been reporting on something on some drug activity and had gotten too close to, the story and someone wanted to silence her. Mm -hmm. The other portion of this drug theory is that maybe was Jody herself using drugs. And I, I think I'd like to address that one first and then we can get into the, the investigative reporting aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear, right? I mean, there's no 
evidence or even rumors that she did drugs. We this is this again is where Amy, where people question her coworker Amy Coons, because there is in a, in an interview where they ask her directly at any time did you think that Jody was on drugs and Amy said well there was a lot of times that Jody would show up and she would be very tired and not seem real dedicated not really applying herself kind of out of it for the first few hours of her shift. And sometimes we would find her sleeping in editing bays during her shift. Right. And at other times she would be really tired one moment and then very hyper and excited the next, as well as she, she could have mood swings where she would yell at a coworker or yell at somebody that was, um, you know, worked for her. And then the next minute be on top of the world saying how much she loved her job and how much she loved everybody she worked with. Well, it really seemed that Jody was driven. Uh, I think in her journals, you can see where she writes down different goals of where she'd like to be at, at a certain time. Uh, so, but she's also very young. I mean, I say very young, but 27, it's like you, you think, well, I'm approaching 30. I got some stuff figured out, but you really don't. Well, very young in a very professional setting, mm -hmm. you know, it's, you could be, you could be 27 and working at Cedar point and, and seem like a very adult professional person, mm -hmm. but you take that same person and you put them working for, I don't know, the oil industry or some kind of big capitalism industry mm -hmm. and they don't seem so, uh, mature. So I think for me, as far as her behavior, I can't answer to, maybe that was her behavior all the time. Maybe she was just an excited person that would be, that could be angry one moment and very happy the next moment. Well, and obviously if you're getting into work at, you know, four o'clock in the morning, that at some point you're going to get your, your, your second wind or your first win and going to come to life and go, okay, here we go. It's time to get some work done. And I have to believe that that, position, especially being an on-camera person, probably comes with a, a high level of uh, pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at times she could have felt like she was in the pressure cooker. And then at other times that camera shuts off and there's probably some relief, you know, oh, I made it through the day or, oh, I did a great job on that piece. The thing here is Amy has said outright that it was those types of behavior that led her to suspect that drugs were a possibility. I don't think there was anything other, any evidence other than her behavior that there was any types of drugs involved. You know, nobody's seen anything to, to, to 100% point to drugs. I think too, that you bring up a good, a good thought there, captain is that we have this young woman, 27, mm -hmm. she has to get up and be at work at 3 a.m. Mm hmm. How many times, and I have uh, reports from a woman that she worked with named Robin Wolfer. I'm sorry, Wolstrom, I believe mm -hmm. is her name. Forgive me. She was, the, she was the evening anchor. Yeah. And she would say that she didn't get off till 10 or 1030 at night and that the two of them were very close. Jody and her were very close. And she said that sometimes she would get a phone call from Jody at 10, 1030 at night and say, what are you doing tonight, Robin? Do you have any plans? And Robin, Robin would say, Hey, don't you have to be at work at 3 a.m.? And Jody would say things like, Look, you know, life is meant for living. 
You know, I, we, I, I can sleep later. Mm. And I think one thing that we see here with her falling asleep in the editing base, I just think she wasn't, wasn't fully equipping herself to work at 3 a.m. every morning. Mm -hmm. We all know people that have fallen into vicious cycles of, you know, outgoing people that like to go out every night. And what do they do? They fall into a vicious cycle of wake up early, go to work, work as hard as you can, come home, you take a little bit of a nap, your phone rings, and you're out again that night, and you fall into the same cycle day after day after day. Well, she's also in a town by herself, and we know that she... Uh, likes to drink beer, so maybe she likes to be social, and maybe that makes her not feel so alone. Hey, let's go have a couple drinks, and we're you know I'm not going to feel so alone here, where my family is so far away and my friends are so far away. More importantly, if in fact she was rushing off to work with very little time to prepare, and she's abducted then, and mm -hmm. next thing you know, police are in her apartment going through her things. You think they would have found something to suggest that she was using drugs and right. this was not the case. And I think the reason why we can prove that that's not the case, they never seem to be following up on that angle. They never seem right. to be working that angle. So I think we can, I think we can squash the, uh, Jody was on drugs thought there that there has been a small amount of chatter that I think it should just be quieted. What, if drugs were involved, then what might be more likely was that she was reporting on something and somebody thought that she should be silenced. Yeah. And it could be some kind of drug thing that she's going to report on, but there was also this criminal case going on where a man was going to be charged with a murder, uh, Billy prune. And so a lot of people think, so one of the pieces of evidence is that her briefcase was missing. And so a lot of people think that is, evidence that there was something in there that she was going to report on the the issue here though is that she's technically an anchor and she wasn't technically a journalist right and and you bring up a very good a good point there and a little more on this billy prune person he was somebody that would later commit suicide he was i believe charged with three homicides they were all related to illegal drug activity. Right. And it's thought that he was some kind of drug lord or, or, or kingpin in this area. And he was up to all these bad things. She's reporting on these, on these stories. So naturally people wonder, well, did he decide to go and kidnap her and silence her? Yeah. Or put a hit out on her there. And, and there's, here's what the police have said. The, and these are, these are their words. That for someone to believe that she got too close to a story or she knew too much, mm -hmm. the por the person would have to be crazy. And that's their words. And what they mean by that is what you were just what you were just feeding us there, Captain, is this that she sat behind a desk. She didn't do investigative reporting. She wasn't doing the investigation. She was simply reporting it and telling well, all of us about don't it. Don't say simply, that's a lot harder than people make it out to be. No, but, no, but it. No, but, but she when was you, an anchor, anchor, not a journalist. I'm not degrading her job. I'm just saying right, right. that when you when you break it down, she's reporting it to the rest of us. Right. She's not out investigating it. She's not knocking on doors, following leads, making phone mm -hmm. calls. She's just saying this is what we believe happened. This is what we know to have happened. This man's facing these charges. So in a sense, the police are exactly right that the person would have to take it to the next level and believe that she knows something that she would not have known. Right. And furthermore, 
if you're going to go silence her, isn't she just reporting what everyone else in the area would be reporting as well? Wouldn't you have to go and silence everyone that you um, saw on TV? Possibly, unless she got some lead or a tip that she's keeping close to the vest and, and this person knew about it. I mean, I think the main thing to focus on here is that she, you know, Jody is missing, but so is her briefcase. Okay. And you bring up a good point. The With the briefcase having gone missing, then you would think that there must be. Why would somebody drag that along with them in the process of abdu- abducting her? Mm-hmm. That would lead you to believe that their name or some reference to them or some phone number or something in her information kept in that briefcase mm-hmm. could be traced back to them. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go, 
and all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. Cheers, mates. Cheers, Captain. And while we have our glasses raised, I want to point out to everybody that it is National Police Officer Week. So a thank you to all of the dedicated officers, past and present, and in particular, we would like to honor officers Eric Joring and Anthony Morelli, two Westerville officers that were killed on duty earlier this year. May they rest in peace and God bless their families. And thank you to all the good people that came together to honor them. Now, where we left off, Captain, we were going through these different thoughts and theories. And the one that we just went through, the Billy Pruins theory. Right. That either he was involved or someone that he knew had killed Jody. We want to point out there that I don't want anybody to get the impression that we just glossed over it for no reason at all. The thing is, there's been a lot of people that have looked into this theory and they have many good reasons to dismiss it. Right. And actually, my personal thoughts on this theory is while it's a very interesting story and it's an interesting possibility. For me, very quickly in looking into it, I was able to, there was so many question marks 
that I thought there are so many more likely possibilities in this case that if you want to spend your time on it, we don't have the time today. So if you want to spend some time on that, that's something you can certainly look into. I encourage you to, but I think you'll find a lot of the same question marks and red flags that I found as well. Well, and there's another kind of out there theory too, that of these, that the cops are responsible. And that comes from this lady that worked for the police department. And she claims that there was three men that worked for the police department or maybe three police officers that for whatever reason decided to abduct Jody. Yes. So this is officer Maria Ohl. Uh, and I'm hoping that I'm saying her last name right. It's OHL if anybody wants to look into that. But she is no longer an officer with the Mason City Police Department. She has been released from there because she has violated several of the department's regulations. Now, the, she's an interesting part of this story, too, because she states the reason why she was let go is because she had information that these three officers were involved in the abduction and murder of Jody Husentrup. Mm -hmm. And how did she come across this information? It was, she is the sister-in-law of a reverend at one of the local churches there. And this is um, a reverend that received information from a guy named Donald Milk. And this person called the reverend and spoke to him back in 2010, I believe, informed the reverend that he had information of police misconduct and he knew where Jody's body was. That is what I have heard to be his, as close as you can get to his exact words, that he was aware of police misconduct, he was afraid of the police, and he knew that where Jody's body was. I think from that is where the story pulls together and states that, well, these the police might have been involved in this. Right. So she's the uh, sister-in-law of this reverend. He shares the information with her because he, I don't think he knew where to take this information. And she was a police officer at the time. So she runs into this sticky situation of, well, who does she go to? You know, when people that you work for might have been involved in something, do you go to them or do you not go to them? This, what makes this even more weird is that the, the police department comes right out and says, look, she says she had this information on us and that she has evidence against us. And we're letting her go because of that information that she had and the way that she handled that evidence. So it's a, it's a very weird story and I encourage people to check that out. And if you want to check out the Billy Pruin story as well, more of that information you can find. There's a very good website out there called findjody.com. It's been dedicated to finding Jody who's in truth. And it's been, put together by a lot of investigative journalists and reporters that have worked this case very hard and continue to work it to this day. So if you are interested in those angles, I encourage you to check that out. We have to move on from those theories though, captain, because there are some much more likely theories in, in my very humble garage opinion. And those being that either she was abducted and killed by somebody that either knew her or that was stalking her. Well, I put a lot more weight into this based on the evidence of her calling people and saying that this uh, truck, you know, and the funny thing is there's twice that she has mentioned a black truck. 
And then you start wondering, is it the same person that is stalking her? Yeah. Here's one weird thought though. And we talked about her journal a little bit now where the police have done. Okay. So there there's been look without getting too far into it. The police have not done a great job on every aspect of this investigation. I'll go ahead and throw that out there. Personally, I feel like they spent too much time looking in or around the river very quickly in this investigation where I think they could have been looking for things to lead them to other possibilities. Well, but in their defense, they did get some hits, you know, some scent dog hits. And the other, the other angle here where I don't think they did a great job. And I don't know who this, there's probably only one person to blame here, but Jody's journal that she kept in her apartment that was found in her apartment after she was abducted. Mm-hmm was taken into evidence and it was somehow leaked to the media. Somebody had sent copies, you know, like photocopied the pages and sent them to the media that happened from somebody within the department. We don't know who did it, but you bring up this black truck and you bring bring up the possible harassment or was there somebody stalking her? And we know that she had some of these thoughts because she shared them with family. She filed a police report. The weird she thing took self-defense classes the weird thing, though, is I I went through what I could find of her journal online, and I didn't see any me- any mention or reference to those incidences in that journal, which I found a little strange. You know what I mean? Like if that well, was, it depends on what your journal is meant for. Some people will have a, a you know like a gratitude journal. So at the end of each day, you kind of go over a lot of the good things that happen and what you're appreciative for and you don't spend a bunch of time on what is weighing you down. Right. And hers appears to be a lot of career goals, Mm -hmm. uh, and personal goals, but it also does state a lot of recounting the day's events. Right. But normally in a positive light though. Yes. Yes. You're exactly right. And that's just what I'm wondering is maybe she was the type of person that was like, well, that did bother me, but there's no point of, you know, because some people want to go back and read their journal here and there a year later, but they don't want to hear every negative thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, we do have two of two suspects that have been discussed much more than anybody else. Do you have a preference on order, Captain, as how we get into that? One is a, a so-called friend of hers or might be friend of hers mm-hmm. and one was a uh, a man that she did not know let's start with the one she did not know okay so this is a man by the name of tony jackson so he was a man that lived just a couple of blocks away from the television station where jody had worked right and she didn't live that far away from the station no and what's important here is that later this man would be brought up on and convicted of three separate counts of rape. So he's a serial rapist that lived in the area of where she lived and worked. But the crimes he's convicted of happened in 1997. This took place in 1995. So how does he get on the police's radar? Well, I think the way that he got onto the police radar was that the media found this guy, that an investigative journalist and reporter found this guy and made some connections here because of these crimes being a serial rapist. And then later learning that he was in fact living in the area, just blocks from where she lived and worked. Mm 
Right. So here, here's what I was able to track down that on July 10th, 1998, the assistant County attorney who successfully prosecuted Tony Jackson for rape in Minnesota said that she believes that he is responsible for the disappearance of Iowa TV anchor woman, Jody, who's in truth three years ago, quote, in my own mind and in my own heart, I think he did it, said the assistant county attorney. She told the Des Moines Register for a story that was published on the following day. What she's pointing out is that this man is a patterned sex offender. And then again, quote, goes on to say, knowing what I know about him, this is Tony Jackson, the way he has been involved as a rapist, I would bet my bottom dollar that Jackson abducted Jody Hoosentrup. Yeah, but this is coming from the prosecutor that prosecuted him. But then there's later some, uh, maybe a jailhouse confession. Yeah, and some information regarding Tony Jackson that does not... So Jackson would come out and he he actually called the the news station that was reporting that he could be involved in this. Mm. And he contacted them and he said, "Look, I'm not involved in in Jody's abduction or murder. I don't even know who she is. I never met her. We did not know each other." Um and I you know what? I should clear I should clean that up a little bit, Captain. I can't state that he didn't know who she was. He could have known her from TV, but he states right. not, they didn't know each other, the two. Personally. Yeah. So the the things that don't look good for this man is that there were record, records obtained by this TV station, which is WCCO, that found that Jackson had purchased a car the day before Jody was, before she disappeared. What kind of car? I have no idea. But he returned. White van. It, it didn't seem important, so I didn't add those to my notes. The important thing is, though, this vehicle was purchased the day before, and then it was returned uh, just a couple weeks later. Uh, this was because the check that he had written for the vehicle had bounced. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's strange is Jackson worked the evening shift as a at, at a meatpacking plant. Mm-hmm. So the night before who's in truth disappeared. He left work early saying that he had hurt his leg and was going to an emergency room. Now WCCO does not back up if he actually went to the emergency room or not, but they report that he left work early. What they also reported on a possible connection to Hughes and truth's case is that the day that she was abducted, Jackson reported to work, but only worked one hour that day. Well, and you'd think there, there'd be some kind of worker's comp or something like that if he got hurt at work. Well, and also, I want to dig into something a little deeper, Cap, and you mentioned what kind of vehicle it was. That, that is a, an important item because we do have the black pickup truck that we've talked about. Right. We have the light-colored van that we talked about. The issue here, though, is when when doing the research, it was I know this. It was a car. It was not a truck nor a van, and that's right. why I didn't include the actual description of the vehicle. So I apologize for that. I <laughs> I wish I would have well, included it, that in the notes, other than that it was not a truck or van. It would have been nice if they could have found the vehicle and then did some DNA tests to see if uh, Jody was 
even end the vehicle ever. A February 21st, 1999 newscast suggests that Hoosentruth's body may have been buried in a silo that was near the Johnson County town of Tiffin and alleges a possible connection to Mr. Tony Jackson. Well, why, how does this, this site come up? Well, apparently his cellmate brings up some information and says, look, Tony's awfully often reciting these rap lyrics. That seems to be a rap that he made up. And one of the lyrics is, says something to the effect of she started to stiffen in Tiffin. And people mm. had have often speculated that that might mean he had abducted Jody Hoosentrue or abducted some young woman and the body started to stiffen near the town of Tiffin. Right. So WCCO, they spent their own money and they put together some tests to, and they tried to track down the area of Tiffin of where it could possibly be. Somehow they tied these silos to a possible area. Now they use their own money for laboratory tests and they, they sent dogs out there. There are several different reports about what the dog's findings were be, were to be. There were three cadaver dogs sent out there. One report states that two of the dogs hit on something. Mm-hmm. The other reports state that, that none of the dogs were active or were uh, hitting on anything during this search. Now, they did remove boards from the silo that were tested and later were determined not to be linked to the disappearance of Judy Hoosentrude. Now, that doesn't necessarily rule out Tony Jackson because that might just mean that they have the wrong area, that there was nothing to be found in that area. Let's go through a little bit more of his information because I find this individual to be a very interesting, I will say suspect. Okay. Because we have him, we have Tony Jackson publicly stating that he didn't, he've never, he've never seen her or met Judy Hoosentrude in public. Right. Right. But later a former friend of his came forward when investigative journalists and, and reporters were out trying to fact check some of Jackson's story. Now this source did want to remain anonymous, but he told a Minneapolis news crew that just before who's in truth's abduction, he had become friends with Jackson since their girlfriends at the time were close. Mm-hmm. He says one day after playing basketball, that Jackson had asked him out to happy hour drinks to a bar where Jackson had said that he knew Kuzentrut was a regular. Later, this source says, you know, I always wondered how he would even know that. But the man went along for drinks. Wait, hold on. I'm confused. So he says, let's go get some drinks at this happy hour. And I know that Jody's going to be there. He says to him that he knew that Jody was a regular at the bar. Before they went to the bar. Correct. Um, so he goes along for the drinks. I guess this was a few blocks away, some kind of bar called South Bridge Lounge, which is now gone out of business. And I actually, I think it went out of business in the late 90s. He states that they entered through the back door. And when they walked in, they saw Jody Hoosentrude sitting at the bar. Hmm. Jackson allegedly walked right up to Hoosentrude and started chatting her up. 
Now, this former friend says that he could not hear what their conversation was. He was not near them when they were talking. Mm -hmm. But he also, we also know this about Jackson, that while he was living in Mason City, Jackson attended North Iowa Community College, where he had developed an interest in broadcasting while he was hosting his own student talk show. So now his friend knows this about him. So he assumed that the two were just kind of talking about TV and TV related things. But he says after Jackson was arrested, tried and convicted for those rape charges, he says, looking back, he actually thinks that Jackson's interest in Jody could be a sign that he's possibly guilty of having abducted her and worse. Mm -hmm. Now there's another witness that I find interesting here that they dug up years after the, the, um, abduction. This second witness also wished to remain unidentified. This is a female who says that she used to run past Jody's apartment complex every morning, right around four 30 AM. She stated that on that morning, she says she was almost hit by a car that was zooming out of the complex's parking lot. She also added that she was, coming up to the apartments and a car comes out really fast and it nearly hits me. And then I have to jump onto the sidewalk Mm -hmm. and its headlights were off as it was speeding out of the parking lot. She also said that just the day before the abduction at the same time and place, she says that a young African American man, perhaps in his teens was riding a bike outside of the apartment complex He then started biking right beside her as she ran, which she thought was weird at the time of the morning. Meaning when she looks back, she thinks maybe this man could be, could have been following her on his bike. The weird thing here is as far as vague descriptions go, well, Jackson would fit the vague description of a young African-American man, perhaps in his teens as being the one on the bicycle, because at the time he would have been 19 years old. So that makes it interesting. And he also had a car at the time. And this witness says that she saw a car speeding out of the parking lot on the day of the abduction around four 30, around that same time with its lights off. So as far as vague description goes, that's interesting that he matches that vague description. As far as this, quote unquote, former friend story that they went to a bar that Jody would frequent. The thing that I find interesting there is, and we don't know, I know that underage people do drink at bars. It does happen. Um, and probably in 1995, it happened a lot more than it happens today. Mm -hmm. However, this man, uh, Jackson would not have been old enough to drink in that bar on that particular day in question. Yeah, but it could have been like a neighborhood pub where they also serve food. So maybe they don't ID you to get in. I mean, who knows? Right. It's not an impossibility. What, what makes it seem unlikely, even all those things we pointed out uh, about Jackson, about not possibly not being a good suspect is that he was looked at significantly. Now this was years after the abduction. Yeah. But, and these are direct quotes from investigators that worked the Jody who's in true case. And one being after conducting a thorough investigation, which included interviews, crime laboratory analysis, records review, and polygraph examination, Tony Jackson is not, is not considered at this time a viable suspect in the investigation. Going on to state, 
we haven't been able to develop anything that will tie him in with this case. However, that does not mean something won't come forward that could put him right back in there at being looked at again. So it, it seems to me, Captain, like they were pretty thorough with this dude. It also sounds to me like as big of a scumbag as this guy is. Piece of shit. Yeah. Hashtag piece, use a piece <laughs> of shit. Um, I don't even think I said that right. But oh, anyway. While you try. I gave it a good shot. Hashtag use a piece of shit. The, the other thing, though, that I find here about Tony Jackson, I, as much as I like him for to be a suspect, mm. I find his willingness to suggest possibly otherwise. He seems to be extremely willing to, one, speak with the media and say, as soon as they come out with the report, he's going, no, 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 no. I didn't know her, and I wasn't involved in this. Look, he might have knew who she was, and he might have said, hey, man, let's go get a beer. I actually saw this news anchor in there. And then they see her in, in the bar and he went up and said, hi, that still doesn't mean he's involved. Mm. It's kind of a weird coincidence, but that if the police are saying that he's not involved or they don't think he's involved, then it's, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there was a ton there. Well, and that makes you wonder what evidence do they have regarding that hair that was found at the scene? Were they able to compare it to some of his hair and determine that, that it wasn't his hair that was found? Did they compare the palm print? Yeah, and I also heard that he had somewhat of an alibi that that checked out. So Okay, and, and the thing here is, too, here's what I wonder about, though, Captain. It seems to me like they've been using this palm print to eliminate people. I don't mm. know that that's... I, I hope that the wording is wrong on those reports because I think that's irresponsible on their on their part. Right. Because you and I spoke about this at length earlier. You and I... We question if the palm print even has anything to do with the abduction at all. Right. Especially if where it was found on the vehicle. If this was a palm print from inside the vehicle, I have a lot of arguments that would suggest that this person had no reason to reach into the vehicle at all. Right. Well, and you also wonder if it's on the outside. We're talking about she's parking one at work with a lot of people, and she's parking in an apartment complex that not only has a lot of people, but has a lot of people visiting the people that live there. And so... I mean, you're talking about a lot of people that could walk by and touch your car. Well, right. And I would I would suspect that many of us have many random palm prints on our vehicles and people that have a lot of people inside their vehicles would have different palm prints as well. Now, I think the person that we've, we've delayed getting to and for good reason is the person that is probably what maybe True Crime Garage would consider to be the prime suspect here i think most people looking into this case uh this guy there's some red flags right away yeah and and i want to go on record as stating that the police have never said that they have a prime suspect in this case but one person that drew an early focus from police attention was mason city businessman john van sice and you've heard that name before because we spoke about him he was considered to be a friend of jody's he was also a one-time rel um neighbor of hers one time relative <laughs> good catch um he had hosted the surprise 27th birthday party for her just uh days well he weeks before her her uh abduction well he claims that he saw her last he also claims that they were hanging out the the evening before she went missing so you know what's weird about the birthday party and i think that what a lot of people speculate is that john had developed an infatuation with her 
and and was infatuated with her and this led to some unhealthy behavior and then he developed some kind of relationship that wasn't actually going on mm-hmm. in his mind and got upset with her that she didn't see things the same way that he did and he abducted her and killed her. Mm-hmm. I think there's some things to to that thought. One, the birthday party seems a little strange. How well did they know each other? Go ahead. Well, let's start off with it. They used to be neighbors, 20-year difference, um, but they have similar hobbies. He had a boat. She liked going out on the boat. They liked to golf. And she mentioned multiple times to family and friends that, hey, we are just friends, but maybe he's starting to want something more. She seemed to be very comfortable with John, though. If he was if he was a bad guy, he wasn't giving out very many bad vibes to to Jody because right. Or she just has a really bad picker. She she brought him around her friends. She brought him around some of her relatives as well. Now, to, well, let's start with the surprise party. Okay. The thing that I felt found very odd is that at some point there's like these invitations or some kind of flyer or poster, right? And it says that the party is thrown by him and friends. And just the fact that it's almost like he wanted, he wanted the credit. He wanted the recognition. It said yeah. that on the invitation thrown by John Van Syce and like, look at me. I'm such a great guy. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And that actually squashes one question that I had regarding that party was, you know, was he just the connection to the bar that that, that booked the event? Mm-hmm. And then later media goes, well, he threw this party for her when in, in actuality it was a whole group of people that threw the party. No, he threw the party. So he won 100% through the party. I tell you what, on the other side, on the flip side, it is a nice gesture for a young woman to receive some kind of birthday party from a close friend, yeah. especially when it's somebody that she's only lived in town for what, a year and a half. She doesn't know a lot of people outside of work or outside of her very inner circle. And mm-hmm. in fact, she comments in her journal about the party stating, you know, it was a great time. John and some of my friends threw this party for me. There was, there was a cake. We were dancing on the tables. Everybody had a fantastic time. There was cameras there filming some of it there were people taking pictures and this but this relationship could be as innocent as as John claims it is he's saying i met this young lady she's obviously attractive but she's 20 years younger than me but she's very positive and she was a very positive influence on my life and you know for somebody you know maybe John doesn't have a lot of friends himself so maybe this really helped his life and so, you know, he's trying to repay this uh, this newfound positive person that came into his existence and saying, hey, well, let's let's throw a party for you. So if anybody's familiar, John Van Syce, to me, looks like Greg Norman, the old retired golfer, the, the shark. Yeah. He, he has not some, a bad looking guy. He has some similarities to Greg Norman. But as you said, he'd be 20 to 22 years older than Jody at this time. Now, mm-hmm. one thing I've always wondered, the weekend before she was abducted, they went out on his boat and yes, his boat being named Jody is very odd behavior to put it as nicely as I can. Nobody's everybody's hearing this for the first time. He named his boat after Jody. Yes, the boat was named Jody. He named it after her specifically. But one thing I wondered about Captain is 
his, they stayed at his son's house and his son was out on the boat all day with them and Jody and her best friend. Mm-hmm. I think I said her name was Tammy, right? So the four of them and maybe others are out on this boat for a considerable amount of time. Part of me wondered, you know, like when you Jody bringing a friend along, you know, that's probably somewhat for her could be just to have a good time or somewhat for her own comfort level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing that I wondered about was, is there any chance that, that John was trying to hook up this young, one of these young women with his son, right? You know, that maybe his son was single at the time and he just thought Jody was the best thing under the sun and thought that maybe the two of them might, you know, hit, hit it, it off, off yeah. while they're in each other's presence. He states that there was a father daughter type relationship. There was a lot of people on her inner circle that seemed to think that John wanted more. Uh, Jody, unfortunately her father passed away when she was very young. Mm-hmm. Some people have speculated that she could have been friends with this older man. One, because he could have been charming and fun to be around. They share the same hobbies, but also maybe did she, see it as a father daughter type relationship. Right. But also just because she is telling friends and family members that she thinks possibly that he wants something more. She was never definitive about that. I mean, it could have just been, you know, he called her pretty one day, you know, Mm -hmm. and she's like, Oh, well that's kind of a new wrinkle in the relationship. So I, I don't put too much into that. I mean, we don't have any proof that, wanted to be anything more than just friends well the night before she was abducted we have john van sice who would tell police that she was at my apartment she came over to my apartment we watched a videotape of her birthday party Mm -hmm. she left around 10 o'clock that is the last that i have seen of her now there are people that says that he seemed excited or weird when he was talking with police the morning of the abduction There are also people out there that point out that John would have had a very limited amount of time to abduct her, do whatever, and dispose of her body if, in fact, he was the one who did it and did it Mm single-handedly because he was speaking with the police shortly after they were on scene. You know, within hours of them being on the scene, he's being interviewed by police and telling them, hey, she was at my place last night. Yeah, which you think... If you have something to do with her disappearance, you might not want to state that she was at your place. Yeah. So the interesting thing here is, was she at his place? And a lot of people have said, well, why would it, why would he bring up that she was at his place if, if she was not? Mm -hmm. And I throw into the argument then, well, what if later, you know, some, some speculate, well, what if, what if he needed an alibi for that night? I think less likely he needed an alibi for that night because I believe that that phone call is real, is real. The following morning that Jody, Amy Coons phone call at four ten was absolutely real. So therefore she is fine and unharmed and does not seem to be worried about anything at four ten AM the next morning. The thing here is though, if John Van Sice is in fact guilty of something Maybe he needs an alibi later to give him an alibi of why possibly Jody's DNA or hair or anything of Jody's would be found in his apartment. Right. Because then later he can say, I already told you guys she was here the night before. Wouldn't you expect to find some, some evidence of that or something? Yeah. But I mean, if 
you have proof that you've been friends with her for a while. So you wouldn't have to necessarily state the day, you know, hours before she went missing. She was at my place. He gave a lot of interviews in the beginning to TV, a lot of interviews to police. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, he was very... Talked to the family a lot. Yes, he was very forthcoming with everything. Some things that, that I think are are could be an issue. The one that really stands out for me is, remember we spoke about Jody calling her friend Kelly after 10 o'clock that night. And this would be, if all these things are true, and we do know that that phone call happened to Kelly. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a certainty. What's in question is the time that that phone call was placed. Mm-hmm. So if in fact she did go to John Van Sice's home and if in fact that phone call took place at 10 after 10 o'clock that night, that means his, she was fine when she placed that phone call after leaving his home, his apartment, she was 100% fine. Mm-hmm. I did find one report. I found one report out there that stated that that phone call occurred at 8 40 PM that night. Now there's so a possibly before she went over. Yes. Or that she never went over at all. Mm-hmm. And that, so we know that she left the golf course at 8 PM. We have several eyewitnesses stating that. Was she golfing with him? No, mm-hmm. she was golfing a charity event that she, she right, at, right, right, attended right, right, with somebody she worked with. So here's what I'm getting at. Now there are many more reports out there. I want to be clear about this. There are a lot of reports about this phone call. This is very important. The phone call, every one of them, but one that I could find state that the phone call took place at after 10 PM that night. So this other thing is either, either everybody else has got it wrong or this one place reported it badly. Mm-hmm. They report that the phone call took place at eight 40 PM. Multiple of those reports state that the police, they were able to seize outgoing phone call records from Jody's apartment. So they do know that the phone call took place. I only bring up the potential that the time might be wrong. Right. It's wrong. One of these places, we know that for certain. If, if eight 40 is in fact the correct time, then maybe she never went to John Van Sice's apartment. Mm-hmm. And if he lied about that, he's you've got to wonder what else is he lying about? He's yeah, guilty of something. He, yeah, why is he lying about that? And, it, and I think also, you know, you, you have, um, a very beautiful woman that was abducted. We have no remains have been found and you have somebody that owns a boat. And if you're going to get rid of somebody and, and have no trace or lack of tracing, you do it through, through a boat, right? Yeah. That's interesting because even though police were talking to John early on and he would have had limited time to do anything with her, you got to wonder his 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 home, his vehicle, his boats, these items were not searched early right. in the investigation. Mm-hmm. So what could have happened there? And you're exactly right. He could, you would think the first go-to would be use the boat to get rid of this object that you you need to hide and conceal forever. This person. So let's not talk about oh, it's, just, it's a person, not an object. That's fine. Right. I I can call it a body. Mm-hmm. Uh the thing is there's another eyewitness account that's interesting regarding the night before she was abducted. There is at least one neighbor that says that reported hearing somebody knocking or pounding on Jody's front door to her apartment and also stating that 
it is believed to have heard Jody's name called out by whoever was knocking on the door, stating something like, I heard pounding on the door, mm-hmm. open up Jody, I know you're in there, or Jody, I know you're home, something to that effect. Which is an interesting thing because then there's the thought, was there somebody with her in that apartment at some point that night? Whether they stayed the night and stayed until the morning or were they there for some portion of the night and then have left? And furthermore, if there was somebody there, why have they never come forward and stated, I I was at her apartment that night or I stayed the night? <clears throat> Here's kind of what I wonder. What if she's seeing somebody? So she goes golfing and then she goes over to her buddy John's house and he's not available bachelor for her because she doesn't like him because he's 20 years older, right? Mm-hmm. And she has some guys she's talking to on the side. Okay. So then she leaves John's house and then she meets up with said guy, right? Said mm-hmm. guy's at her house. John comes over. Hey, I know you're in there. And who are you hanging out with? Mm-hmm. And maybe, and that would be the motive. I mean, I guess the motive for for John would be that she didn't want to be with him um, in a in a serious relationship. So then he had to kill her, you know. Right. Or on the flip side, could John be the catalyst for somebody that was following her and keeping tabs on her, infatuated? believe that they had some type of a relationship. And what right, I mean right. by that is if they're keeping tabs on him, they see she went out of town with, with this guy for a weekend, then she's off golfing and then she's at his apartment. They got some, she, she's out running around on me. A lot of these stalkers believe that they are in an actual relationship. Right. Well, you have a boat named after her. Right. And then this person thinks, Oh my God, she's involved with this dude. She's cheating on me with this dude Mm -hmm. and decides to take it out on Jody waiting outside of her apartment until the wee morning hours grabbing her there. But back with the toilet seat up and beers. I think that somebody there, I think that really suggests and somebody knocking on the door too. Mm -hmm. I really question that. Did John, did she go to John's apartment or did he go to her apartment is what I really question. Well, and again with John, he was very cooperative with the police. So I don't know. But if it's only one or the other, I think there's more evidence to suggest that maybe John was at her apartment rather than her being at his. Meaning that we have a neighbor that reports hearing a knock on the door. We have the beer cans. We have the toilet seat up. And then on the flip side, all we have is John saying that she had gone right. to his apartment. Now, some updates, uh, some things that have taken place more recently regarding this case is we have a search warrants that were conducted. They did a search on um, John's basement at the apartment that he had held at the time of her abduction. Now, keep in mind, they did searches on this basement years and years after the fact and claiming that they had not found anything to suggest that Jody was in that basement at any time. In March, on March 20th, 2017, a search warrant was executed for GPS data on two cars related to John Van Sice. Now, at the time of the search warrants, John would be 72 years old and living in the state of Arizona. They wanted to find out GPS data from a 1999 Honda Civic 
and a 2013 GMC 1500. So that would be a truck. What I find to be interesting about these search warrants is these were executed last year, early mm-hmm. last year. We don't know the result of these search warrants because the warrants and the search has been sealed and they actually filed for this to be sealed for, I believe it was for one year. And then when it came near that one year mark, they went back to seal it again and it has been sealed for an additional six months. So the information regarding that search is sealed until October of this year. What I'm guessing is maybe there's some kind of lead, some kind of information that those searches yielded. And now that they're following up on that information or using that to, to further conduct their investigation and they don't want that information to come out or they believe they can find what they're looking for and have not been able to locate it yet. The curious thing though is, and the obvious thing is these vehicles were not even they didn't even exist at the time of her abduction. So what does this mean? Does this mean that they suspect John and suspect him enough that he would have used these vehicles at a later date to transport the body of Jody or that they would find some evidence all those years later in these vehicles? Well, I wish they would have done these searches earlier and I wish they would have searched John's boat because the fact that we don't have a body, you know, having the boat, Access to the boat gives you access to get rid of the body. Mm-hmm. I wish they would have done that. And as much as, I mean, it's just whose story do you believe? And I do believe John's story on some level. And then it always comes back to me with the, the briefcase. Why did the person take the briefcase? It seems like something so unnecessary when abducting this young woman to drag along that briefcase as well. Now, obviously, Captain, we could talk about this case for three, four, five hours. There is a lot of information here. The Mm -hmm. issue with Jody's case, like others, is that some of these items, some of these details in here kind of throw you into, throw us all into a tailspin of, of going, what if, what if, what about this, what about that? If you want more information or if you yourself have any information regarding the disappearance of Jody who's please use that website that we have referenced several times during this, these two podcasts that is findjody.com. They have more information there and you can submit tips there as well. And please, please keep following this case. And we are coming up on another anniversary of her abduction. So on June 27th, please uh, think about Jody and think about her family. Please share Jody's picture on social media and maybe we can shine some light on this case, get people talking, and get some new information. And for all of our old episodes, check out the Stitcher app. And a little recommended reading before we close out today's show. This week we are recommending the infamous Birmingham Axe Murders. This is a recent release about a reign of terror that swept the streets of Birmingham in the 1920s. Criminals armed with small axes attacked immigrant merchants and interracial couples, leaving dozens dead or injured over the course of four years. And desperate for answers, police, well, the investigation got unconventional, let's say. 
Eventually, four men and a teenage girl were charged and tried while copycat killers emerged from the woodwork. So check out the infamous Birmingham Axe Murders, Prohibition Gangsters, and Vigilante Justice by Jeremy Gray. And you don't have to write down that title now. You can simply go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the recommended page, and we have our recommended books there for you to check out. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend, and we'll see you next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.